You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. Let's pray before we get into the Word. Father, um, I, uh, every time I enter into Advent, I know I need to be renewed in a sense of wonder, of um, amazement, because it's the, it is the most amazing and goodest of good stories out there, Christmas, and then the story of Jesus leading up through a cross and into a resurrection, like the song we just sang, The Living Hope. Um, but I also know that it, it, it's, a, it's a weird time. It's a time when we really more need to slow down to enter into imagination and wonder. But everything speeds up at this time. And so I'm hopeful and I'm prayerful, God, that starting today and in the Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve, that we can, at least in this space, slow down enough to renew our sense of wonder and imagination about what it is that you have done. Because it is remarkable and it is incredible. And I think our hopes are buoyed in whatever it is that we're facing when we kind of we can reconnect with that. So, Lord, I hope in some ways that you can use me for that effect today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's read from Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, him being Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the word of the Lord. The great storyteller, C.S. Lewis, who's my cousin. I'm just kidding. No, he's not. I wish he was. But great storyteller, C.S. Lewis, once made this observation, and I'll put it up on the screen. He said this, reason is the natural organ of truth, 
But imagination is the organ of meaning. In other words, our imagination, which, you know, we get into our adulthoods, right? And we start to kind of go, eh, who needs imagination so much? Some of us. Some of us actually are great at never letting that go. But in other words, what we're saying is our imagination, our state of wonder is surprisingly, it's the part of our humanity that best helps us piece together the meaning found in a whole bunch of facts. Imagination is that part. That's what C.S. Lewis is getting at. So the Christmas story, as you and I know, is loaded with a lot of facts. Of course, there's debates about these facts, right? It's one big myth. But we here, or probably most of us, we are believers that there's a whole bunch of facts about Christmas. Facts like there were shepherds, and there were mangers, and there were animals, and there were angels, and, and, and there was baby Jesus. But it's when we open ourselves up to a state of wonder that we better understand how to, what's happening with all these facts. And in addition... We often need to look at familiar stories. And isn't Christmas pretty familiar to us at this point? We need to look at familiar stories from a fresh angle in order to, sometimes a fresh angle is the thing that kind of expands our sense of wonder and our imagination all over again. And then by expanding our sense of imagination, we get more of the deeper meaning of it. So here's what we're going to do here at Faith Community Church this Advent season. Of course, this is our tradition. We light this beautiful Advent candle wreath throughout the season, and we started, and I appreciate Laurel for stepping up and, and doing it and, and lighting that first candle. Um, we're going to be telling stories about when the time came, the time came. I think these are stories that I hope will spark a renewed state of imagination and wonder for you this Christmas. And I think they are stories, they are going to come from different perspectives that we don't usually hear about at Christmas, people like Simeon. So as we have lit our candle of hope, and we're going to, what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to tell you the story through the eyes of Simeon and tell it through the story of Simeon about what's it like when the time came for hope to dawn. So hello. You want to know why I got this big smile on my face? I know it's kind of crazy. It's got this like cheesy smile on my face, but here's why. I, I was young. And now I am old, and that's getting more true by every day. But I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. That's one of my favorite passages from the Psalms. Because that passage reminds me of who God is and how he shows his kindness, no matter what it is that I'm facing. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm... I'm an old man, and uh, you know how we old men can be? You know, you kind of, you, you ask us a question, or you get us started talking, and then we start talking about our favorite things to talk about, and then we don't stop. So, I'm sorry about that. I didn't introduce myself to you before. I just started talking about my favorite thing, which is to talk about God and His goodness. So, I'm sorry I didn't introduce myself. My name is Simeon. I've seen you around these temple courts. Uh, because if you haven't already noticed, I'm kind of a regular around here, and I've seen you around these courts. And I appreciate the fact that you took the time to ask me, why am I smiling so big today? If you're willing to listen to an old man ramble on, I think that when you hear my story, you might find you'd have a lot of reasons for smiling yourself. It can be really hard to hope in God. 
It can be hard to hope for God's goodness to arrive and really hard to wait for God to make good on promises that he's given to you. Especially when God isn't moving fast and God hasn't been moving fast and God isn't moving as fast as you need him to move or he hasn't been moving as fast as you want him to move. But I will tell you that when the time comes that you're hoping God, it suddenly becomes a reality. <laughs> it, it leaves you with a big smile. I, I know that you know something about God's promises because I've seen you around these temple courtyards just like me. I know you know something about his promises, and and I have watched you as we watch one another go to different parts of the courtyard, and we pray standing and calling out to God. I've watched you pray in this courtyard, and I've watched you offer your sacrifices. So you know God has given us as his people big promises, huge promises, all the way back to the very beginning of the entire human race. God made a promise right after Adam and Eve fell into sin, trying to make a better life for, their, for themselves on their terms, apart from God, something we all know what that's like. Right after that happened, God told Satan, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and her offspring, and he will crush your head. He Ever since God said that to Satan, we've all been waiting for the promised, mysterious he. He who was going to show up and crush Satan's head. We've all been waiting. And then God built on that promise. When he gave to our father Abraham, he said to our father Abraham that... um, Excuse me, when he, he, when God built on that promise to Father Abraham, and here's what he said to him, through your offspring, which of course when he's talking about offspring, he's talking about the mysterious he to come, through that offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then God recommitted himself to that promise. Even when, and you and I both know what happened to our nation, even when our nation went completely our own way, And God had to hand us over to the consequences of our flight from God and send us off into exile, into a foreign nation. Even when everything looked like God should be done with us, he didn't abandon us or his promise to us. But he spoke to the prophet Isaiah and he told us, burst into songs of joy together. For the Lord has comforted his people. He's redeemed Jerusalem. He will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. God has made big promises to his people and our world. And I've been thinking about these promises and I've been hoping for these promises for so many years. Just look how many gray hairs are in my beard. I've been thinking about comfort. I've been thinking about God bearing his arm in the sight of all the nations. I've been thinking about all the earth seeing the salvation of our God. Will God really bring the he that God promised would arrive to crush Satan, the enemy of humanity, and defeat Satan's scorched earth project of trying to ruin God's promises to this planet? 
how is God going to accomplish these promises? I've wondered, what will they actually look like when they happen? What will he look like when he arrives? When will he come? Waiting's hard. So hard. I've waited so long. And there are a lot of ways, many ways, that people are trying to wait for God to bring these promises. You know them. You see them. I've seen them. You've got the Essene community. And they have their own way of waiting, which is kind of an interesting way to wait on God's promises. For them, they've taken their families. They've taken them out of the cities. And they've taken them out of the villages. And they have found caves to live in. And they're living with their families in caves to try to keep themselves pure, just to wait for God to show up when God's going to show up. They're waiting by removing themselves from real life. That's how they're waiting. On the other hand, our religious leaders, I got to talk carefully because a lot of them are around here. The religious leaders and the Pharisees, they're just trying to buy time until a king, like their version of he shows up. And so they're just, they kind of wait by publicly making nice with the Romans while privately hating the Romans' guts and waiting for some warrior army king to rise up and kill off the Romans in pools of blood and send them off from their land so that we can have our land back. That's what they're waiting for. And then the zealots, the zealots, well, they're waiting by, well, who am I kidding? They're not waiting. They're not waiting at all. The zealots, they're they're not waiting because in their minds, if God isn't going to do anything, which it doesn't seem like he has, and if God's choosing up in his heaven to wait another 50 to 100 years to go, okay, now's the time to act. Well, that's too long for them. So they're going to have to do something. They're going to have to take it into their own hands. And so the zealots are trying to make God's promise happen through terrorism and violent revolution. And I guess I have to say, in fairness, I get it. It can be so hard to just wait. Because I've had my moments when my impatience and my frustration have led me into the dark places of thinking, maybe they're right. Maybe I should join the Essenes. Maybe I should just go wait in a cave. Maybe, they're, maybe the Pharisees are right. Maybe I just appease and appease and appease until the right moment, and then I turn on people and slit their throat. Maybe that's right. Maybe I take matters in my own hands. That would be more effective. But I've learned through my life that when I'm in any way trying to help God make happen what only God can make happen, I'm not really waiting. When I do these things, I'm doing something in my own power to try to get out of discomfort. I'm trying to get out of my discomfort about my situation, but I'm not waiting. I'm trying to, I'm trying to make something happen and not really like waiting in hope for God to make God's promises happen. So years ago, I committed myself to learn how to wait on God. I don't know if you've ever done that. 
but just to go, maybe I need to learn how to wait. And so I tried to commit myself to learn how to wait on God to move in his way, to move in his time. And I've had to learn how to recognize when I'm trying to make things happen, to get out of my discomfort, and then to return back to God's promises, to reread his promises, to look back at his promises with a renewed sense of wonder, admitting to God my impatience, which has been great, But then as I look at the promises, then to imagine what will God's promises someday look like? What will they feel like when he shows up? I've had to learn that waiting on God, it isn't about excruciating endurance. Maybe you've always thought that about waiting on your God. Excruciating endurance. And I thought that for a long time, but I've learned that's not what it is. It's not excruciating endurance. It's about active anticipation. It's anticipation of of what, what is God doing in me right now and in the world on this day as it leads to the promised day. And so I've learned that, that waiting isn't about escaping. And, and trying to get out of the world or trying to get out of my situation as quickly as possible. But it's about whatever the situation is, uncomfortable and, and difficult as it is, it's about welcoming in. I'm not trying to get out of it. I'm learning. I got to welcome in, in this moment. What's God doing in the world? And I think that learning this, it's prepared me for what happened to me a few days ago. That's why I'm smiling. You see, a few years ago, God's spirit whispered to me that I would actually get to see the he that he promised to Adam and Eve. That I would actually survive and live to see when he arrived. And I know, I know that sounds kind of nuts, but as I, as I poured out my heart to God, longing for his comfort to finally arrive, this thought from the spirit of God just flooded my mind with the strongest sense of shalom. It was a whisper that I would not die until I personally saw him, the Christ. And I kind of laughed as I thought sort of to myself, well, as long as God has been taking to fulfill this promise so far, this might be a promise that I'll live to be as old as Methuselah. So I'm good either way. But it actually came true last week. One morning, God's spirit whispered to my spirit that I needed to show up here at this temple. It happened here. And I, I didn't know, I didn't know exactly why on that morning, but I was strongly moved by the Spirit of God. I needed to be here. And so I came to the temple, as I so often do, and I saw so many of the priests that I know. Some of them I like more than others, just to be honest. And I saw some of my friends and that I usually see here. And as I did it on that day, I just had this sense. I was like looking around and I was praying. And as I talked with people wondering, what was it? Why did the Holy Spirit lead me here? Why am I here? What's happening? Am I seeing it? And for hours, it just seemed like a normal day. And it seemed like I must have misunderstood the whisper of God's Spirit. I was just about willing to accept that I, I must have just misunderstood Because I'll be honest, in all of my years of trying to learn what is and is not a movement of the Holy Spirit, there's been times I misunderstood. I've never given up going, well, I'm not going to try that again. I just have learned sometimes I miss and sometimes I get it. And so I was ready to go, maybe I just didn't understand this time. And then it happened. Then it happened. This young couple, just like the child we just heard give the shriek, 
This young couple came into the temple courtyard with a one-month-old baby boy. And obviously, they had come as devout worshipers of Yahweh God to dedicate their firstborn son and offer the appropriate sacrifices for the mother's ceremonial purification after having given birth to her firstborn son. And at first, I did not think much of them, actually, I have to admit. Especially when I watched them walk over to that little corner over there and purchase the two tiny, tiny birds for their sacrifice. Clearly, they were incredibly poor. And they could only afford the cheapest sacrifice that God's law allows, which is just two little birds. And so my first thought, I'll admit it, nothing special here. Not this baby with these parents. I mean, how could something so big from God come from such obvious, difficult poverty? Nothing special. So I looked by them, and I kept looking around. I continued looking around, wondering, why had God's Spirit moved me to come? Why, why am I here? Why am I here? And then as I continued searching for why God brought me here, I started to remember, and probably the Spirit was helping me, how God has always moved in our past. How he picked unknown Abram, unknown in all the world, to become Abraham, the father and the blessing to all the nations. How he picked and thinned out Gideon's army down to the smallest handful of men to lead a most triumphant battle and victory for Israel. How God picked out the smallest, youngest runt of Jesse's boys to become the powerful King David in Israel. And how God has chosen to bless this the most tiny, insignificant nation, Israel, in order to, through us, bless the nations. And then I looked again at the couple and their baby boy. And then I realized this is, this is exact, this is exactly how he would do it. This is exactly the way God would give us the great he that he had promised. Every great act of God in our history, it has begun in the smallest, humblest, even sometimes the weakest of beginnings. Yes, this baby boy is why I was moved here to come. And so I made my way over to the young couple, and I, and I couldn't help myself. I, 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 I couldn't. I, I just, because I was beginning to realize that my longing hope was now a reality, like right in front of my eyes. And so I asked the mother if I could hold her son. And I, I don't know by the look in her eyes whether she felt like she could trust me, but she let me pick him up. And I held him, and I reverently praised God, and I said, you can now release your servant, God. You can dismiss me in peace because my eyes are now looking at your salvation, which is now out in the open for everyone to see. I am, I'm, I'm cradling God's revealing light to all the non-Jewish nations and the promised glory of Israel. And that is why I'm smiling today. God's not disappointed my hopes in him because God's promise, it's arrived in the world the child's parents, they're named Joseph and Mary. They were amazed. Their mouths were open at everything I was saying. And I said about God and everything I said about their baby boy. And so I blessed them too because they need blessing. They have a long, hard road ahead of them. And I told them this, this child, your baby boy, 
He will mark both the failure and the recovery of many people in Israel. He is going to be misunderstood and contradiction, contradicted, and God is going to use him to reveal who people really are. And I had to tell his mother, I'm so sorry to say the course of your son's life and mission, it will pierce your heart. My friend, my smile is big because he is here. He has come. Our hope in God, it has not been in vain. God's salvation mission to the world has begun. And I'm glad that I was able to see it and embrace God's promised he, the he who is our salvation. I am totally relieved that I learned to wait as God would have me wait. Because listen to me. Because learning how to wait on God formed me into the kind of person who could actually see and embrace God's promise when it came. Don't kid yourself to think that if you just wait and you're all angry and frustrated that you're going to see it when it comes because I'm telling you now, you won't see it. I think that if I had tried to wait in the way that everyone around me is waiting, I am pretty sure it would have formed more anger and impatience in me that would have blinded me. It would have scrunched my eyes tight and not formed me into the man who had the capacity to see God's salvation when it was right under my nose. Yeah. I think how we wait on God forms us into the kind of person who either can see and embrace God's promises when they arrive or you cannot see it. And you'll miss it even when it's right under your nose. I've talked long enough. And my face is kind of tired from smiling. So my friend, I hope you can smile too. Because he is here. And everything is going to be different. Goodbye. And may God bless you. Bye-bye, Simeon. But as we say goodbye to Simeon and we allow our imaginations to ponder his story, I want to ask you some, to enter into a state of your own personal state of wonder because I want to ask some questions. Here's my first question to you as we start Advent. Where am I waiting in hope of God's promise? And how am I waiting? Are your kids going through some struggles? been crying out to God, hope clinging to some promises for your kids, grandkids, waiting for a spouse to get right with Jesus, waiting for a dear loved one to come home to Christ after years of praying and crying out to him, a house in this very expensive market, a medical situation that none of us knows about, but you and the doctor know. Where in your life right now, we lit the candle of hope. This has to hit you where you're living. Where are you waiting in hope of God's promise? And be kind to yourself on the second part of the question. How am I waiting? This is a safe place under the grace of God. You don't have to beat yourself down and say, you're being rotten in your weight. Just be honest. Like, how are you waiting? The second question I want to ask is this. 
Is my version of waiting forming blindness or vision to see God's promise when it arrives? I want you to know pastorally that it's very easy to think, well, of course, when God's good thing arrives, I'll totally see it. And I'm here to tell you, you may not. If you're being formed out of bitterness, fear, anxiety, anger, impatience, it may hit you in the nose and you won't see it. So is your version of waiting where you're at right now, is it forming blindness or a vision where when it comes along, it's like, this is it. You'll see it. You'll actually see it. Because I'm telling you now, when God shows up, his gifts The best gifts in our lives, and think about this in your life, they almost always seem to arrive on our doorstep in wrapping that we go, no, thank you. So we got to have eyes to see it. Is my version of waiting, forming blindness or vision? Third question for a sense of wonder, is my version of waiting forming calluses or tenderness in me? to be able to embrace God's promise when it arrives. Same concept, where you want to think, like, of course, when God finally does what God's supposed to do for me, then when it comes, I will absolutely be willing to embrace it. Are you sure? Because if you're being formed again out of bitterness and anxiety and fear and all these other things, it may land in your hands, land in your lap, and you may not want to embrace it. Because it doesn't look the thing that you thought it was supposed to be or feel like the thing you wanted it to feel like. So is your version of waiting forming calluses or tenderness? Just some things for us to think about. And I, again, purposely don't want to come in with big points during Advent because I want you to think about it. So with that, I'm going to invite the Nye family plus the adopted Rodney to come on up. Um, and they're going to lead us in some song. And as they kind of get settled to do that, um, I just want to encourage you to just be thinking about some of these things. As you hear from Simeon's story, um, what are you waiting on in your life? And, and in the wait, are you learning how to wait well? And are you being formed in the kind of person who can see it and can actually embrace it when it's right in front of you? Let's pray. Father God, I, I at least can admit as a recovering control freak that I'm horrible at waiting. I am not good at it. And so I'm sure that all of us in some degrees, it is not easy to just sit in hope. In fact, most of us would not like to light a candle of hope because hope means waiting. We would rather light the candle of reality. It has come. That's just how we're wired. But Lord, there is something in the hope season. There is something in the waiting season that you do want to do in us. You want to form us to be a different kind of person. So that on the other side of the wait, when the promise does arrive, we're the different person to receive it. And both are what you want. And so God, I ask that blessing on your people here at our church this season. May it be a rich and wonderful and kind of a renewed sense of imagination and wonder during this holiday season. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. 
visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.